There we go. All right. So last week in uh, the Jews of Broadway, we talked about those Jewish people who made a name for themselves on Broadway and shaped what American Jewish, what, what American musical theater looks like to this day, because it is still very, very Jewish. But one of the main points that I was trying to get across was that even the most Jewish of Broadway composers for a very long time did not feel comfortable telling their stories through Jewish characters and narratives, right? They told the story of the Jews through proxies. They told the stories of, um, of outsiders and immigrants and people of color, um, people who were downtrodden and tried to uh, achieve something, right? Despite that, which is the essential Jewish narrative, but they just weren't um, using Jewish characters. Now, all of that changed with a musical that I'm sure uh, a lot of people know. It's a little, a little musical that could called Fiddler on the Roof, all right? Has, any, has anyone heard of it? Has anyone heard of Fiddler on the Roof? Let's see some raise. No one's heard of Fiddler on the Roof. Okay, so I'm, I'm glad that, that I can introduce you to this sort of like underappreciated gem. Uh, <laughs> so um, Fiddler on the Roof was kind of the first big Broadway musical that told an explicitly Jewish story through Jewish characters. Um, it was written by, uh, had music by Jerry Bach, lyrics by Sheldon Harnick and book by Joseph Stein. And it opened September 22nd, 1964. It ran 3,242 performances, which was the longest run until Greece broke that record in 79. And it's been broken a bunch of times since. Um, but, but Fiddler on the Roof, just because of how big it got and how much it, it resonated with the Jewish experience, or at least the sort of Ashkenazi um, shtetl Jewish experience, uh, it sort of set off a whole wave of musicals about Jews and biblical stories. Those musicals that sort of followed Fiddler's lead and telling the Jewish story through Jewish stories are, are what we're going to be listening to today. Um, one of the things about Fiddler that, that works for it is that it is very universal. Um, there's a story that goes around that they did a, a production of Fiddler on the Roof in Japan. And some of the audience came up to the director afterwards and said, wow, how do you know so much about Japanese culture? Right? Um, this is a story about family, about commitment to tradition. It, it, it is both very, very Jewish and yet it has these really universal story elements. Um, I think a lot of us know the all the mainstream Fiddler on the Roof songs, right? We kind of know the things that are part of the part of the main soundtrack. Um, but what I wanted to play today was something people might not know. This was a cut song, um, and it was a song that would have been towards the end of the show. It's called "When Messiah Comes," and it's kind of a, a like a sweet comedic take on waiting for for the the Messiah to save us. Um, but it was, there, there was a theater critic who wrote to Harold Prince, who was the producer and asked him why the song was cut. And the quote was, um, when Messiah Comes was dropped because it was theatrically too lugubrious and the shape of it too long to sustain at that point in the story. Now, if I had a nickel for every time I was told something was too lugubrious, I would be a very poor man. Um, so here, here's When Messiah Comes from Fiddler on the Roof, a cut song. Here you never say, I'll see you tomorrow. You say, I'll see you tomorrow, God willing. Because who knows, with one good pogrom, you could be driven out of town forever. So that for some, tomorrow means exile. And for others, there is no tomorrow. But someday, when the Messiah comes, ah... When Messiah comes, he will say to us, I apologize that I took so long, but I had a little trouble finding you. Over here a few, and over there a few. You were hard to reunite. Rabbi can't hear anything. Everything is going to be all right. Can we not hear it? No, I can't hear anything. Oh. 
I hear it. I hear it. We heard it. We can hear it. We can hear it. It's fine. I can hear yeah. it. Maybe leave the Zoom and come back in if that works. Okay. Give it a try. All right. I'm going to do it one more time. I have to start where the song okay. started. <laughs> Apologies. Um, but it's such a nice opening. Why not hear it again? Here, you never separate. say, I'll see you tomorrow. You say, yeah, I'll separate. see you tomorrow, God willing. Because who knows, with one good pogrom, you could be driven out of town forever. Okay. So that for some, tomorrow means exile. And for others, there is no tomorrow. But someday, when the Messiah comes, ah. When Messiah comes, he will say to us, I apologize that I took so long, but I had a little trouble finding you. Over here a few and over there a few. You were hard to reunite. But everything is going to be all right. Up in heaven there, how I wrung my hands when they exiled you from the promised land. Into Babylon you went like castaways on the first of many, many moving days. What a day and what a blow. How terrible I felt you'll never know. Since that day, many men said to us get thee out kings they were gone they are we're still here when messiah comes he will say to us i was worried sick if you'd last or not and i spoke to god and said would that be fair if messiah came and there was no one there and the lord replied to me Wait, everything will be all right, you'll see. Many times, many men took our homes, took our lives. Kings they were, gone they are. We're still here. When Messiah comes and his reign begins, truth and justice then shall appear on earth. But if this reward we would be worthy of, we must keep our covenant with God above. So be patient and devout. And gather up your things and get thee out. And I, I kind of wish they had kept that in the show. Honestly, That's like, yes, maybe it's a little lugubrious for, you know, towards the end of the second act, whatever that means. Um, I, I think it's it's a really sweet, funny, kind of sad take on the, on the hope that things will, will get better, right? We know that the end of the show is that they leave and go somewhere new, right? Um, while I was looking, looking up a recording of this, I did find a YouTube comment that sort of jumped out at me that I wanted to share. And it was uh, shocking the way they speak to God, just so disrespectful. You do not question or demand. Man is a sinner. We are his children, but we are but sinners. And I thought like, wow, this must not be a Jewish person who has written this because I think that song is like the most Jewish song in Fiddler on the Roof. The most Jewish song not in Fiddler on the Roof, right? It's about that discourse with God. It's about that sort of push and pull personal relationship, right? It's not disrespectful, it's wrestling. And that, that's our job, right? We're Israel. So the next two pieces we're going to look at are, um, so um, Harnick, and, Harnick and Bach, who did the music and lyrics for Fiddler on the Roof, they went and wrote what I think is their own sort of spiritual sequel to Fiddler, but we'll get to that in a second, because Joseph Stein, who wrote the book for Fiddler on the Roof, also wrote his own kind of spiritual sequel to Fiddler. So this was 1987, it was much later. But if Fiddler is about, you know, the, the European Jews in the shtetl, Rags is about what happens to them once they make it to America, right? It's sort of the, you know, trying to tell the story of the Jews as they come to the, the golden land. Um, so Rags from 1987, uh, book by Joseph Stein, like I said, music by Charles Strauss, lyrics by Stephen Schwartz, who will come up later. Um, and it was on stage for a few weeks. And then it was gone. It, it was not a hit, far from it. 
Um, but it's it's a really nice gem about sort of the, it, it's one of those nice Jewish gems on Broadway. It was nominated for Best Musical. It did not win. I think if it had more people would have heard of it, it might've been revived at some point. Um, but it's a story of five immigrants who come to America on the same boat in 1910 and kind of follows all of their stories. Um, and what they find is the real American dream, which is working in uh, sweatshops and as peddlers for uh, pennies a day. So this song that we're going to hear, which is called A Penny a Tune, uh, is about kind of the backbreaking labor that these immigrants experience in America, uh, accompanied by an itinerant klezmer man. Tunes from around the block, tunes from afar. Beautiful tunes played by musicians who played for the Tsar. Penny a tune, penny a tune. Empty your pockets and fill up our hats. Music from the shops and the cold water flats. All for a penny a tune. Over the east side, the major of feet. Far quarter time in the air. For kiddies and grannies and tenement crannies. Working their pennies on there. They bring us the rhythm of Rivington Street. But just a penny a tune. One thing's for sure, though. We sweat and we stitch.
All right, and we're gonna we're gonna stop for the extended klezmer dance break. Um, you get the idea. This is, you know, it, it's similar to, you know, America from West Side Story because it is a little bit of like a disillusionment song. Same as we we saw in Yiddish theater last week. It's this notion that that they come to America dreaming of streets paved with gold and end up, um, you know, living in tenements. Right. I, I think the the message is that they, you know, they find. Uh, that the most important thing is is caring for each other and and music and that sort of thing, um, you know, which always ends up being the message, right? It's that we we can be grateful for what we have, but you know, we we can always ask for a bare minimum, I think. So here's so so that was um, Joseph Stein's sequel to Fiddler, right? Kind of spiritual sequel. Um, Bach and Harnick went to animate a different one, um, which was called The Rothschilds, which if you Google it now, you're going to get a lot of conspiracy theories, a lot more about conspiracy theories than the musical. Um, but it's it's kind of the opposite of rags. It is about a Jewish family that makes it out of the ghetto and becomes incredibly, incredibly financially successful. And uh, I, I guess the essential conflict of the show is just how successful can they be? And the answer is very. Um so it's ba- it, this, uh, the Rothschild is from 1970. It's based on Frederick Morton's account of the rise of the famous international banking family. Um, it opened in, it opened October 19th, 1970 and ran for 507 performances. Um, one of the interesting similarities to Fiddler is that uh, it, it's not about uh, Rothschild's five, Rothschild's didn't have five daughters, but he did have five sons. So there's kind of that parallel there. And it's about their struggle to leave the, the Jewish ghetto uh, of Frankfurt. Um, ultimately, I believe Meyer Rothschild manages to get the government to abolish the ghetto, which is what they wanted from the beginning. So this is a song called Everything. This is uh, the father, Mayor Rothschild, um, singing about what he wants for himself and his sons, which is to leave the ghetto. have enough. We have a roof overhead, clothes on our backs. We make a living with something extra so we can give when a poor man asks. What more do you want? We have enough. What more do we need? What more do we need? What more do we want? What more do we We want? Everything, everything, everything other men aspire to. What another's entitled to, we're entitled to, too. It's a curious, dangerous malady we are all afflicted with. We want everything, everything, just like other men do. Where is it written? In what book of ancient lore we should want just so much and no more? This unorthodox feeling has slowly come stealing over all of us. We want everything, everything, just like other men do. They say that everything comes to those who wait. Well, maybe everything comes to those who wait out there, not to those in here. In here, there's no such luck. In here, we're stuck in our bleak little black little corners, like so many little jay corners, waiting, 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 morning, night, and noon. Sticking our thumbs in, looking for plums, knowing we'll be lucky to settle for a solitary prune. All plums are restricted to the thumbs out there. Out there, out there, out there, out there. There are men no different from us. No better, no brighter, no different from us. Except that they're out there while we're in here. Here, out here, in here. everything, everything.
us, there's a crack in the wall. Your father. He taught us it's up to us all to probe and pick and push until one day that wall gives way and we Stuffing your heads with crazy plans. Princes, courts, bankers, and for what? Good night, Mama. We have enough. Good night, Good night Mama. Good night, Mama. We have enough. We have a fire in the stove, food in the house. We have each other. We have the Sabbath. We have a share in the world to come. What more do you want? What more do we need? Mama, it'll take a fortune to kill that lullaby. Good night, Mama. We have enough. Well, I haven't listened to that one in a while. And, and Lord help us if the conspiracy theorists find a song about the Rothschild singing about how they want everything. Um, but it's okay because it's not very well known. But I, I think those are kind of Stein and, and uh, Bach and Harnick's sort of sequels to Fiddler on the Roof. One about the Jews in America who struggle to succeed. One about the Rothschilds uh, who do. Now, um, putting the... American Jewish experience on Broadway, interestingly enough, also ended up putting a little bit of the Israeli experience on Broadway in a very American way. Um, so in 1961, uh, Jerry Herman, known for Hello, Dolly, and some other things, um, wrote a musical called Milk and Honey. So this was 12 years after the founding of the State of Israel. And he says, I want to write a musical about Israel. And I don't want it to be romanticized. I want it to be real. So we went and spent some time in Israel and was inspired um, for the story, to write the story of this musical when he saw a busload of uh, American Jewish widows cruising around on a tour looking for husbands. Um, that is the plot of the show. Um, it's a bunch of American Jewish widows looking for husbands. And it's also set against the backdrop of uh, Israel's struggle for independence. It opened October 10th, 1961, ran for 543 performances. Um, Jerry Herman tries to write in sort of a Israeli pioneer style, uh, and it does not work, in my opinion. Um, but I, I think it's a good song in its own right. Um, the song we're going to hear is the title song, Milk and Honey, which is kind of actually the Israeli version of America from West Side Story, because it's kind of this vacillation between um, sort of romantic entanglement with the land and um and, and sort of the, the optimistic approach and then sort of the more realistic approach that yeah it's a desert and there's a lot of swamp um but i i think it balances those two really nicely uh, in a way that resonates so this is milk and honey This is the land of milk and honey. This is the land of sun and song. And this is a world of good and plenty, humble and proud and young and strong. And this is the place where the hopes of the homeless and the dreams of the lost combine. This is the land that Kind of bitter and the milk's a little sour. This is the world. Do you 
know the pebble is the state's official flower. How about the tensions, political dissensions, and no one ever mentions that the scenery is barren and torrid and arid and horrid. And how about the border when the Syrians attack? How about the Arab with the rifle in your back? How about the water while there is a bit is fine, but this lovely land is So that's that's milk and honey. Um, I, I think it really captures Israel really nicely that it is this this um, struggle between hope and and cynicism, right? The but the the national anthem is Hatikva, the hope, right? Like the hope is what keeps people moving forward, um, even when things are a little complicated, a little darker than we want them to be. So. Now, I know I'm talking about the American Jewish experience, but it, it sounds pretty American, right? It doesn't really sound that Israeli or pioneerish. Um, but I, th I think it's a, it's a nice show in its own right. Um, the next musical is very explicitly about the American Jewish experience. Um, so we're, we're gonna talk for a second about falsettos which is made up of two one-act musicals written by William Finn, who is one of my favorite composers. My dad met him one time, um, and he wrote a, a song about a member of, of my dad's congregation who tragically passed away. Um, so he's a good guy. Uh, but th these were two one-act plays which were preceded by another one that never really made it to Broadway called In Trousers. So the beginning of the first one is just a recap of what happened in, in that one. Um, but in 2016, they, uh, in 1992, they put them together, they put March of the Falsettos from 1981 and Falsetto Land from 1990 together into one show. There was a 2016 revival. And I think they also did a recording of it on uh, PBS, which, I have floating around and I'm getting around to watching it. It's, it's a really good show. Um, it's a really complicated story, um, but most of the characters are Jewish and the subplots are very Jewish. Um, what, what is the show about? It, it's, uh, I have my notes up and then they disappeared. Ah, okay, here's what happens. So What's interesting is that it is the story of Jews kind of in the middle-class suburbs and not in the ghetto, like a lot of our shows have been before this. Um, it's about a large, eccentric, and dysfunctional but loving Jewish family in New York at the, in New York at the end of the 1990s. Um, so the husband, Marvin, seems blessed with the perfect family and, and he has a, a wife and a son, but he uh, discovers that he's gay and leaves his wife for a man named Wizard. Um, then his wife, falls in love with the psychiatrist um, that their family has gone to see. Uh, and the whole time their son is stuck in the middle and he's preparing for his uh, bar mitzvah service, mitzvah. right? It's, it's kind of the most Jewish story. Um, and the, the bar mitzvah is sort of the central event. Um, so aside from being a very Jewish musical, it's also a, a breakout gay musical as well um, because it, it also tackles uh, the HIV AIDS epidemic, uh, the character Wizard. Oh, that's a spoiler. That's a spoiler, but it's involved. It's involved in the musical. Um, 
And, and so the next song, it has a little bit of blue language. It uses the B word, I, I think, almost so many times that you almost forget um, what it means. It's called Four, Four Jews in a Room Bitching, uh, which I think is kind of, you know, it, it means complaining, of course. I just want us all to be ready for that. So if you want to, like, turn off your speakers, and I'll let you know when, when, the, <laughs> when it's over. That's fine. But I, I think... Um, this song and the next one that we're going to play really capture sort of um, what it means to be in a conversation with other Jews, that we have a sort of like conversational style. Um, it can be kind of dramatic. We love complaining and then supporting each other's complaints. Um, I don't know how often I've shared this. I share it all over the place. But when linguists talk about the sort of Jewish conversational style, I think it is the, the main characteristic of it is uh high intensity collaborative overlapping, which means that we interrupt each other all the time. Um, and this song kind of embodies that. So just keep an eye out for the, for the language. You can't miss it. It's like 70% of the song, but it's kind of the four male characters um, kind of introducing themselves. So we're gonna go to that. This is from March of the Falsettos, the first one. Four Jews in a room bitching, four Jews in a room plot, hey crime. I'm bitching, he's bitching, they're bitching, we're bitching, bitch, 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 funny, 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 bitch, 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 all the time. What do they do for love? What do they do for love? Four Jews in a room Four Jews in a room stoop they stoop I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. Half Jewish. Bitch, 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 bitch. Funny, 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 bitch, 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 night and day. A baby seems a bit peculiar. We are psychopathic people. We sometimes tell a lie, but mostly we just hide behind the door. We lie and wait for someone good to enter. We offer food and drinks. The lady never thinks that we're the mad. We're often mad, too often mad. We're very mad, but we're the mad experimenters. Call us four Jews itching for answers. Four Jews bitching their whole life long. I'm Wizard. I'm Jason. I'm Mendel. I'm Marvin. Bitch, 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 bitch. Funny, 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 funny. Bitch, 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 bitch. Right or wrong. Aren't ignored. A guild invested will in time pay wisely. We do not tippy toe. We charge ahead to show we're good in bed. Excel in bed. We smell in bed. Where's the bed? I love the bed. Who has the bed? I want the bed. Who stole the bed? Who stole the bed? I lost it twice. The bed is mine. The bed is four Jews in a room bitching. Four Jews talking like Jew-ish men. I'm neurotic. He's neurotic. They're neurotic. We're neurotic. Bitch, 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 bitch. I'm nauseous. I'm nauseous. I'm simple. I'm Jewish. Bitch, 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 bitch. Funny, 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 funny. I'm, I'm Jewish. Jewish. He's Jewish. We're Jewish. 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 We're Jewish. Bitch, 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 bitch. Funny, 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 funny. Four Jews in a room. Bitching. Four Jews in a in a room. Bitching. Bitch, 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 bitch. Now and then. Can't lose. Loose screws. Four Jews. Um, having listened to it again the whole way through, like, I, I think it's clear that the use of expletives is, is uh, it's satire, because it's almost, uh, so ex it's so excessive, how could it not be funny? Um, I think it really captures the, the way that we kind of talk to each other, that, that there's this sort of uh, frantic, neurotic energy that keeps uh, Jewish conversation moving. Um, the... And also, there, there's a little thing in the lyrics there from the version that I copied from. It's because in the new version, they added in the wife. So it's it's five Jews now. And then I wanted to play one song from Falsetto Land, which I think is, is another one of these fun Jewish cultural tropes. I did have to pass over a lot of good songs. There was one about Jews, Jewish kids playing baseball. There was one about the the bar mitzvah, uh, his son, the bar mitzvah boy singing about all the girls he wants to invite to his bar mitzvah because um, that's the miracle of Judaism. 
Uh, but this is one called Everyone Hates His Parents. And, and uh, this is the son, Jason, with the, uh, the psychiatrist, Mendel. Jason, I am agitato grande, Jason. I am muy discutante and muy disappointe and muy nauseatus and me mitzrayim hotzi anu die anu. Oh, die, die anu, die, die anu, die, die anu. Everyone hates his parents, don't be ashamed. You'll grow up, you'll come through, you'll have kids, and they'll hate you too. Oh, everyone hates his parents, but I confess, you grow up, you get old, you hate less. hates his parents that's in the torah it's what history shows in fact god said to moses moses everyone hates his parents that's how it is and god knew because god hated his you are gonna kill your mother don't feel guilty kill your mother rather than humiliate her killing your mother is the merciful thing to do jason darling don't get nervous i'm right here and at your service look i'm calm and self-deluded grateful because i hope you'll do what i pray you'll do go ahead and kill your mother not with guns but kill your mother rather, rather than, than humiliate her killing your mother is the merciful thing to do oh. Everyone hates his parents, now I see why. But in time, they'll cool out, and you'll think they were only fooling. It's a strange thing about parents. Push turns to shove. What was hate becomes more or less love. Jason, please see a psychiatrist. psychiatrist. I'm a psychiatrist. Get lost. Everyone hates his parents. This too shall pass. You'll grow up. I'll come through. I'll have kids. And they'll hate you too. Oh, everyone hates his parents, but kid, I guess you'll grow up. I'll grow up. You'll get old. I'll get old. And hate less. And hate less. I think it's a, it's it's a fun little song. It's a really it's a really nice show. Um. You know, it, and it, it's it's like very funny and also very poignant um, and, and kind of pulls at the heartstrings. But this is kind of playing on that trope about, you know, people being angry at their parents and neurotic Jewish parents and Jewish guilt and all Jews seeing psychiatrists. Um, it sort of plays on, on those tropes that are ingrained in kind of the American Jewish consciousness. Um, so that's sort of my representative, my representative for kind of the modern... Jewish American story, you know, told through this family. Um, we can go a little bit back to the past because around the, you know, Fiddler didn't just open the door for Jews to start telling Jewish stories with Jewish characters. It also opened the door for all kinds of much older stories to come onto the stage. Um, that is stories about the, the Bible, um, the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible. Um, there was a big kind of uh, big surge of shows like that. Um, the first one I want to play a song from isn't from our Bible. It's Godspell, but it's written by a Jewish guy, Stephen Schwartz. Um, but you have this, you have Joseph, um, Jesus Christ Superstar, all, all of these different shows that bring sort of the Jewish story to life. I, I don't know if I consider the life of Jesus a Jewish story, um, but I think it's really interesting that it was put on stage by Stephen Schwartz, who is Jewish. Um most of those shows are Genesis. You know, Genesis has all the really fun stories and opportunities for great special effects and sets. Um, but Godspell is kind of unique in that it's, um, you know, it, it's sort of minimal. I mean, it's a, it's, a bunch of, it's a bunch of hippies running around the stage singing really beautiful music, essentially. I, I think there, there's almost this irony also that it was really big at Jewish summer camps, I think, when it came out. Um, I'm pretty sure people... Have experienced that. So Godspell opened May 17th, 1971. It had 2,651 performances. Um, it used text from Episcopalian liturgy and the Christian Bible. 
Um, and the song we're about to hear called Bless the Lord is taken almost word for word from Psalm 103, um, which is one of the most set poems in the world. Just why I'm good with it, because that's that's our text too. It's also just a really good song. I'm gonna, here we go. I believe this is from the most recent revival. Oh, bless the Lord, my soul, his grace to thee proclaim, and all that is within me joins to bless his holy name. Oh, yeah. Oh, bless the Lord, my soul. His mercies bear in mind Forget not all his benefits The Lord to thee is kind Oh, he will not always try He will with patience wait His wrath is ever slow feel-good music. Definitely feels good to hear some of that in the middle of the day. Um, Godspell is one of those musicals that makes me think that Stephen Schwartz has a complicated relationship with his Judaism. Um, particularly the song that goes, alas, alas, for you lawyers and Pharisees, hypocrites that you are, which uh, feels a little bit directed at Jews, but I'm, I'm not going to make any uh, accusations there. He wrote a, a heck of a good show. Um, I have one last piece of music to share, and this is my favorite. And if I introduce someone to this and they really love it, like even one person, then this whole lunch will have been worth it. Um, but it's also just nice to get together and spend some music. Um, this is a little bit of cheating because it has never been on, this is a show that has never been on Broadway. Um, and I think it is an absolute crime. Uh, it is called Children of Eden. This is Stephen Schwartz's other biblical musical. Um, it is, it was written, so it was music and lyrics by Stephen Schwartz, uh, written in 1991, never on Broadway, opened in London. Um, it was at the Prince Edward Theater in London's West End, opened January 8th, 1991. It closed in April um, due to bad reviews. And because the Persian Gulf War put a damper on tourism worldwide, um, we don't know what that's like, a large scale event, you know, hampering international tourism. Um, this is a musical that is often performed at churches, synagogues, and religious schools because it is the story of um, the first two, two the, the first couple chapters of, of Genesis. It has two acts. The first act is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Um, the second act has the same actors who play Adam and Eve playing Noah and his wife. 
So it's sort of the Garden of Eden and then the flood. Um, it includes Cain and Abel in there too. Um, this is very much a musical that humanizes God in the in the the script and in the show. He is uh, God is called Father, right? So clearly they're going for the male role, um, but they're also going for a very parental role. This is a a God that feels for for God's children, um, and you get a lot of that pathos from it. Uh, this is one of my favorite musicals. I have listened to it over and over and over. Um, it, it is really worth a listen if you can find it. It's on YouTube. It's on Spotify. I listened to the American cast over the London cast. I don't think the London cast had quite figured it out yet. And I think that's why the reviews weren't so great. But um, these, these folks did. These, this is the last, um, the last two numbers of the show because I think they offer us a really beautiful message about Tikkun Olam. Um, and it sort of shows how our stories can be told in a different way to, to teach us new things. So this is Children of Eden. Fare thee well, my precious children. In your hands I place the key to this prison made of gratitude that has held you close to me. Now I know I cannot hold you till at last I let you be. Now Noah and his family step off of the ark. Ah! 
That sounds like a real finale. Um, it's also the finale of our, our Lunch and Learn today. Um, but this, I think, stands up there with some of the best midrash the rabbis ever wrote on, on Genesis. Look, there's no journey gone so far. We cannot stop and change direction. That's become a very important idea for me. Um, and, and it just speaks to the fact that Jewish stories, other stories, whatever stories they are, there is a, a way that I think the the way that the musical can teach us about who we are as people, as Jews. Um, there, there are some things that you cannot express simply with words, right? The whole point of the musical is that um, the feeling becomes so powerful that it can only be expressed through song. Um, I think that's a really Jewish idea. Um, I think it's a very American idea. I think it's one of the, I, I think the musical is one of the greatest things that humankind has ever invented. And I will stand by that. The refrigerator eyeglasses, um, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take musicals over those. So I'm, I'm gonna stop the recording now.